Happy Sunday, and thank you for joining me today. We have lots to get to tonight. All right, on December 7th, 1995, in downtown Fayetteville, North Carolina, at about 1230 a.m., um, two young black men were walking down the street. They were enjoying themselves and having a good time, just minding their own business, when they ran into three U.S. Army soldiers. These soldiers were stationed at Fort Bragg and members of the 82nd Airborne. Uh, then completely unprovoked and out of nowhere, 36-year-old Michael James and 27-year-old Jackie Burden were shot in the head at close range with a semi-automatic pistol and killed. These soldiers had been out drinking and wandering around in the streets looking for blacks to harass. The police said at the um, the police said that the soldiers were essentially looking around and they spotted their victims at random. And they took action. They shot both of them in the head after a short argument. The suspect was subsequently arrested. And now the question is, why did you do it? The suspects, all three of them, they were arrested. What motivated, inspired, or encouraged you to commit this crime? Well, it turns out that it wasn't just an arbitrary murder. It was indeed racially motivated. This went all the way up to the FBI, one agent describing it as a hate crime. One of the people who killed uh, these young black men made it an open secret that he was indeed a white supremacist. Um, he apparently had a Nazi flag above his bed and degraded black soldiers at Fort Bragg. His name was Private James Norman Burmuster II. And when police searched his trailer, they found white supremacist literature, uh, pamphlets on Hitler and Nazi Germany back in the 1930s. They also discovered a videotape of the movie Natural Born Killers which is about two victims of traumatic childhoods who grow up um, to become romantic, who grew up to have romantic relationships and commit mass murders. Police also said that they found bomb making a bomb making manual in the home as well. He also apparently was part of a white supremacist group called the special forces underground. Uh, the group said, says that they believe in individual rights, strict constitutionalism, limited government, isolationism, free market capitalism, and republicanism. However, they are diametrically opposed when it comes to things like democracy, liberalism, altruism, excuse me, altruism, internationalism, tribalism, and quote, the ideologies of all tyrannies, end quote. So it was evident what private Bumuster stood for in what he believed in. A private back at the base told Washington, told the Washington Post um, that Bumuster kept a Nazi flag over his bed, along with a nine millimeter handgun, which was in his locker at the barracks at Fort Bragg. He also stated that Private Bumuster um, spoke about black people in derogatory terms. According to the Washington Post, his style of clothing represented the unofficial skinhead uniform. He is also described by a fellow soldier as disgruntled because of a wound in 1994 that made him unviable when it came to parachute jumps and assignments on base. Here's what happened next in regard to the crime. Quote, the Washington Post reports, quote, after the arrest of Private Brewmuster, Thompson and Wright on first degree murder charges Thursday, Fayetteville police yesterday charged a third soldier, Specialist Randy Lee Meadows Jr. with two counts of conspiracy to commit murder. Police said Meadows drove the vehicle used by the killers, end quote. 
And on top of that, at Fort Bragg, they were already dealing with a lot. They were already dealing with some form of violence. I mean, just two months prior, in October of 1995, a sergeant at Fort Bragg randomly started shooting at soldiers at about 6 a.m. in the morning, at about 6 a.m. as they were beginning their morning run. One person was killed and 18 others were wounded. On December 23rd, 1995, 16 days after these three soldiers were locked up for the murder of these two innocent young black men just minding their business, Dana Priest reported at the Washington Post that 22 soldiers at Fort Bragg had ties to ex- have currently had ties to extremist groups. Here's the lead from her reporting quote, 22 army soldiers of the 82nd airborne division have active passive or former links to so-called skinhead or extremist groups. Officials at Fort Bragg, North Carolina said yesterday, the division investigated extremist activities on the base after three of its soldiers were charged early th- this month with the racist murders of two black civilians walking down the street near Fayette early on December 7th, end quote. In 1997, um, two of the soldiers were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. The third one got a reduced sentence for testifying against his buddies. Uh, this is reporting from the Associated Press, quote, a jury that convicted a white former paratrooper of murdering a black couple said he could get said he could get a skinhead tattoo must now decide whether he should be sentenced to death or life in prison. James N. Brewmuster, 21 years old, was convicted Thursday of two counts of first-degree murder and conspiracy in a case that set off a nationwide outcry over extremists in the military. The sentencing hearing was set to begin today. The mother of victims, Jane Jackie Burden, 27 years old, and Michael James, 36 years old, deferred on whether Burmuster should die for shooting the couple to death on December 7, 1995. Quote, he took two lives, and I think his should be taken also. Uh, that was Mary Lou Burden James, uh, which was the mother of Mr. Jackie Burden, 27 years old, who was shot and killed that that night, that early morning in December. Um, Lily um, said that she was against a death sentence despite Burmester's uh, apparent lack of remorse. She said in court, quote, he has the heart of a he has the heart of cold steel and God help him, end quote. Burmester of uh, Thompson, Pennsylvania, excuse me, Burmester and Thompson um, of Pennsylvania showed no emotion as the verdicts were read after 10 hours of jury deliberation. His mother, Kathy, and sister, Michelle, sobbed and embraced in the row of seats behind him. The Anti-Defamation League and the state chapter of the National uh, Association for the Advancement of Colored People applauded the verdict, saying, quote, Today, a jury affirmed the right of people of every background, race, and religion to walk the streets of America without fear. That was said by Abraham H. Foxman, the ADL's national director. Mary J. O'Hara, a former, a, excuse me, a Fort Bragg spokesman, um, said that the base had instituted several steps to detect soldiers with racist views, including training sessions for all incoming personnel. Quote, we think we've learned from this situation and we continue to educate our soldiers that hate and violence will not be tolerated here at Fort Bragg and really shouldn't be tolerated anywhere. End quote. 
The history of white supremacy in the United States military goes far back to the racially divided 1860s. At the time, there were laws that prevented blacks from serving in the U.S. in the U.S. Army. In the 1920s, the KKK openly recruited members from the military. It wasn't until 1948 uh, when President Harry S. Truman ordered all branches of the military to officially integrate. However, many within the ranks still held racist views towards blacks and minorities, especially because you only had whites serving in the military up until that point. And to counter this issue, to sort of like fight this issue off and resolve this problem, commanders weren't much of a help. They weren't much assistance to, to quell this problem. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed uh, in April of 1968, KKK members marched in white robes and burned down crosses on an American military base in Vietnam. Eight years later, in 1976, at Camp Pendleton in California, Marines wore KKK patches and held meetings. The New York Times reports, quote, after black Marines tried to forcibly break up a Klan meeting, they were charged with assault. While 10 Klan, well, excuse me, while 17 Klan members were transferred to other bases to defuse the situation instead of being disciplined. End quote. The Ku Klux Klan um, also had a military recruiting rally in Virginia Beach in 1979. They were looking to maybe recruit some of the 50,000 per se Marines um, that were stationed at that base, but they were told by commanders to leave. Some of them ended up just staying because what could possibly happen, right? There were no repercussions for me then. Why repercussions now? Because I am racially superior. Some members in the U.S. military went on to commit some of the most diabolical and inhumane attacks in U.S. history. Timothy McVeigh served in the U.S. Army and ended up bombing a federal office building in Oklahoma in 1995 with his accomplice, Terry Nicholas. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, shattering that building, killing children, killing federal employees, military men, and civilians. The chaos in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believed to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. The bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. The United States will not tolerate it, and I will not allow the people of this country to be intimidated. Just terrifying, terrifying event. Uh, that was reporting from NBC News at the time. Both of them were found. Uh, both of them were found and convicted. Uh, Terry Nicholas was sentenced to life in prison in 1997, and Timothy McVeigh was executed in 2001. In 2012, Wade Page, a military veteran and white supremacist, shot and killed six people in Wisconsin and wounded four others. Among those wounded was Lieutenant Brian Murphy, who was shot uh, 12 times, and he survived. When other officers got to the scene and were asked, um, excuse me, and were about to tend to him, um, he refused and directed them to assist others who had been shot. 
Reportedly in 2017, six current serving and former military members were connected to a violent white supremacist group called Atom, excuse me, Atom Waffen Division. In 2008, the FBI released a report stating that right-wing extremists uh, with military experience was a constant issue in civilian life. Since the publishing of that report, it has continued and more people have been recruited in the U.S. military. Excuse me, more people have been recruited from these groups. In 1975, Lloyd Austin uh, graduated from the U.S. Military Academy and saw how racism plagued in the Army. He also witnessed the reaction to those 1995 murders carried out by those three soldiers at Fort Bragg. At that time, he was a mid-career officer. Lloyd Austin has an extraordinary and a remarkable career in the U.S. military and was formally nominated by President-elect Joe Biden to become the U.S. Secretary of Defense in December of last year. Uh, This is what he said at his confirmation hearing last month about rooting out racism and other reprehensible acts in the military. We also owe our people a working environment free of discrimination hate, and harassment. And if confirmed, I will fight hard to stamp out sexual assault and to rid our ranks of racist and extremist and to create a climate where everyone fit and willing has the opportunity to serve this country with dignity. The job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. Quote, the job of the Department of Defense is to keep Americans safe from our enemies, but we can't do that as some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. End quote. Just stark, stark words from Lloyd Austin there. Uh, That was Lloyd Austin. Uh, Last month at his confirmation hearing, he was confirmed and is now our Secretary of Defense. The violent insurrection that transpired at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th included a large group of people, people from all over the country, people from all different groups. Uh, You had white supremacy groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and others there as well. And in some of those groups, uh, like the Oath Keepers, you had military veterans conspicuously marching up the stairs, going through the crowd into the Capitol. Uh, The Oath Keepers is very well known for this, very well known for recruiting former law enforcement officials and military veterans. Also, right before Inauguration Day, do you remember that 12 National Guard troops were removed from inauguration duty because of some questionable behavior? And others for uh, essentially expressing sympathy for anti-government groups. So as a leader, just looking at this, as a leader, you're probably thinking, hmm, we should probably do something about this. We should probably resolve this issue, work for a resolution here. What can we do to at least fix this issue or quell the problem? How can we solve it, or at least resolve it, or try to get something done here, try to improve this situation? We need to look within our ranks more meticulously. And as I said, that leader has been confirmed, and he is now our Secretary of Defense. And he is apparently now doing it. Secretary Lloyd Austin has kept his word, and this memo addressed to military leadership has just been released. I'm going to read this to you. I feel it is worth listening to. I feel it is worth reading. Uh, this is this is the memo. Quote, As service members or federal servants, we each take an oath of 
of office and entertaining, excuse me, on entering into public service. The framers of the Constitution included the requirement to take the oath of office um, in the Constitution itself. While the nature of the oath may vary depending on the individual role you serve, all oaths include commitment to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Because we each took an oath to obey the law, support and defend the Constitution, and to do our jobs to the best of our ability, we expect public servants to be guided in their actions by a strong moral compass. And without question, the vast majority of the men and women of this department serve with honor and uphold our core values. Service in the Department of Defense is a privilege that comes with added responsibilities and obligations by nature of holding a national security position or having access to the nation's sensitive information. Those responsibilities are assinuated for service members who have, excuse me, who have accepted the jurisdiction of the Uniform Code of Military Justice and the added responsibilities inherent to good order and discipline. We will not tolerate actions that go against the fundamental principles of the oath we share, including actions associated with extremist or dissident ideologies, service members, Department of Defense civilian employees, and all those who support our mission deserve an environment free of discrimination, hate, and harassment. It is incumbent upon each of us to ensure that actions associated with these corrosive behaviors are prevented. Commanders, supervisors, and all those who hold leadership position within the Department of Defense have a special responsibility to guard against these behaviors and set the example for those who, those who they lead. To that end, I am directing commanding officers and supervisors at all levels to select a date within the next 60 days to conduct a one-day stand-down on this issue with their personnel. The secretaries of the, mili- of the military departments have discretion to authorize extensions beyond 60 days if required the operational nature of this unit as well as for the National Guard and Reserve Force units. Department of Defense instruction, and then it says, quote, handling dissident and protest activities among members of the armed forces provides the core tenets to support such discussions. Leaders have the discretion to tailor discussions with their personnel as appropriate, but such discussions should include the importance of our oath of office, a description of impermissible behaviors, and procedures for reporting suspected or actual extremist behaviors in accordance with the Department of Defense Intelligence. You should use this opportunity to listen as well to the concerns, experiences, and possible solutions that the men and women of the workforce may proffer in these stand-down sessions. This stand-down is just the first initiative of what I believe must be a concerted effort to better educate ourselves and our people about the scope of this problem and to develop sustainable ways to eliminate the corrosive effects that extreme ideologies and conduct have on the workforce. We owe it to the oath we can take. We owe it to the oath we each take and the trust the American people have in our institution. And then it is signed Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. End quote. There is a history of extremism and racism in the United States military, dating all the way back to the 1860s, 
well before those egregious 1995 murders. If we as a nation are going to truly move and improve on racial issues, then we have to address this. Secretary Austin, Secretary Lloyd, Lloyd Austin, the Defense Secretary, is now urging others in the United States military to do these stand-down sessions, to address this as well, and that is great news. We need to address this crisis in order to improve as a nation, in order to truly improve on issues like racial degradation. Another hurdle that we have to jump before moving on as a nation and healing as a nation is accountability and justice. And that story's next. Introducing Tide Power Pods. With Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. And then there's a husband. And then there's me. That's a lot of clothes. Can we be confident that he will not continue to try to cheat in that very election? Can we be confident that Americans and not foreign powers will get to decide and that the president will shun any further foreign interference in our democratic affairs? And the short, plain, sad, incontestable answer is no, you can't. You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. What are the odds, if left in office, that he will continue trying to cheat? I will tell you, 100%. Not 5, not 10, or even 50, but 100%. If you have found him guilty, and you do not remove him from office, he will continue trying to cheat in the election until he succeeds. That was Congressman Adam Schiff giving a speech on the Senate floor as an impeachment manager in 2019, the first time uh, during, during the first impeachment trial of uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, the second trial is set to begin this Tuesday, but we're going to, we are essentially continuing to get um, new reports about the insurrection at the Capitol. Um, last week, the New York Times published a report called 77 Days, Trump's Campaign to Subvert the Election. Um, that piece has received lots of attention for its meritorious investigative journalism. I'll make sure to link that in the description of this episode. But um, there's also another piece out. Um, last Saturday, Devlin Barrett and his colleagues at the Washington Post reported this, quote, Be ready to fight. FBI probe of U.S. Capitol riot finds evidence detailing coordination of an assault. End quote. Uh, this is the lead from that reporting. Quote, when diehard supporters of President Donald Trump showed up at a rally, showed up at Rally Point Cowboy in Louisville on the morning of January 5th, they found the shopping mall's parking lot was closed to cars. So they assembled their 50 cars or so vehicles outside a nearby Kohl's department store. Hundreds of miles away in Columbia, South Carolina, at a small designated Rally Point Rebel, other Trump supporters gathered to form another caravan to Washington. A similar setup dubbed Minute, Minute Man was planned for, excuse me, was planned for Springfield, Massachusetts. 
That, day, that same day, FBI personnel in Norfolk, Virginia, were increasingly alarmed by the online conversations they were seeing, including warlike talk around the convoys headed to the nation's capital. One map posted online described the rally points, um, described the rally points, declaring them a quote MAGA cavalry to connect Patriot caravans to stop the steal in D.C. Another map showed the U.S. Congress indicating tunnels connecting different parts of the complex. The map was headlined, Create Perimeter, according to the FBI report, which was reviewed by the Washington Post. Quote, be ready to fight. Congress needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, read one posting, according to the report. Quote, FBI agents around the country are working to unravel the various motives, relationships, goals, and actions of the hundreds of Trump supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Some inside the Bureau have described the Capitol riot investigation as their biggest case since September 11th, 2001 attacks, and a top priority of the agents agents' work to determine the extent, the extinct to um, which that violence and chaos was pre-planned and coordinated. Investigators' caution there is an important legal distinction between gathering like-minded people for a political rally which is protected by the First Amendment and organizing an armed assault on the seat of American government. The task is now to distinguish which people belong in each category and who played key roles in committing or coordinating the, vi um, excuse me, the violence. Videos and court filings, for instance, describe how several groups of men that include um, alleged members of the Proud Boys appeared to engage in co concerted action, uh, converging on the west front of the Capitol just before 1 p.m. near the uh, Peace Monument at First Street. Um, Northwest and Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. Different uh, factions of the crowd appear to coalesce, move forward, and chant under the direction of different leaders before charging at startled police staffing a, a, a pedestrian gate, all in the matter of a few minutes. End quote. This also, um, this report also lays out, according to the Washington Post, um, led by Devlin Barrett and his colleagues, it also lays out that they say that some law enforcement officials have suggested um, that the pipe bombs, which the person still has not been found for, that um, put these pipe bombs by the RNC and DNC, those pipe bombs were essentially a, a deliberate distraction meant to siphon law enforcement away from the Capitol building um, at that crucial moment to go to go attend to go tend to essentially that they are suggesting implying that that's maybe um, what some of these insurrectionists had planned here or what the pipe bomber had planned so they could get into the capital and really cause destruction. In this report, it also indicates that some people were planning back to um, November of last year, November of 2020, planning to storm the U.S. Capitol or essentially recruiting people. Uh, the planning has just been in works for a long time. It is a remarkable piece. I, I, I recommend you read it. I'll make sure to link that in the description of this episode. The impeachment managers have asked uh, former President Donald Trump to testify in the second trial, uh, but his attorneys are saying that he will not. 
Also, the impeachment managers released an 80-page report on the lead-up to the insurrection at the Capitol. They write in part, quote, The nation will indeed remember January 6, 2021, and President Trump's singular responsibility for that tragedy. It is impossible to imagine the events on January 6 occurring without President Trump creating a power keg, striking a match, and then seeking personal advantage from the ensuing havoc. They also indicate that the president summoned the mob to Washington, quote, exhorted them into a frenzy and aimed them like a loaded cannon down Pennsylvania Avenue. End quote. On Friday, a judge let out one of the insurrectionists. Um, I'm not sure that she actually was ever detained, um, but she stormed the U.S. Capitol and uh, this judge has let her go to Mexico on an, uh, a work-related bonding trip. In her ruling, uh, in the judge's ruling, she indicates that the defendant is not a flight risk because she doesn't pose danger to anyone and has no criminal history. The Missouri man who was seen in the Capitol uh, with the broken Nancy Pelosi nameplate has just been charged um, just weeks after his, his niece was charged for and arrested. Reportedly, he and his niece were holding the broken nameplate in a picture, um, which was Nancy Pelosi's nameplate. According to The Hill, um, he has been charged with knowingly entering or remaining in a restricted building, disorderly conduct, disruptive conduct in the Capitol buildings, impending the conduct of the government, and theft of government property. Chris Krebs, the former director of CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, told ABC News recently that former President Donald Trump should be convicted in the Senate. He says in part, it is critical. He says, quote, we really have been at an inflection point in democracy for too long. These massive disinformation campaigns that are demonstrably, demonstrably false and have been disproven and debunked over and over and over again. And yet they're still pro propagated by elected officials. They're still propagated online and on fringe media and fringe networks. There has to be consequences for what ultimately is the big lie that led to January 6th. Also this week, Congresswoman, a Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has just been uh, removed from her committee assignments after making lots of, um, after reports of her after reports of her connections to QAnon, which is a conspiracy group, and also um, comments that she has comments and also posts that she has endorsed um, in the past. For instance, putting bullets in the heads of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and other threats against members of Congress, including the squad which is famously known as Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. House Democrats are now beginning to make more of their public statements. They're beginning to make more of sharing these stories and these remarkable testimonies about what they experienced at the Capitol during that insurrection. Here are some of their stories. And so I remember sitting in the office with my team, and just thinking to myself, I feel like I'm back at this very minute. I feel like I'm back. I feel like 
This was one of the days out there on the streets when the white supremacists would show up and start shooting at us. This is one of the days when the police would ambush us from behind, from behind trees and from behind buildings and all of a sudden now we're on the ground being brutalized. It felt like one of those days. And I just remember taking a second thinking, if they touch these doors, if they hit these doors, the way they hit that door, if they hit these doors and come anywhere near my staff, and I'm just gonna be real honest about it. My thought process was, we banging to the end. I'm not letting them take out my people and you're not taking me out. We've come too far. So, Madam Speaker, St. Louis and I rise with a message for our Republican colleagues. On January 6th, I thought about January 3rd and I thought about how we all raised our right hands up and took an oath each and every one of us on this very floor, we swore that we will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Even though that Constitution wasn't written for people who look like me, even that Constitution wasn't written by people who look like me, and even though that Constitution cemented an unjust nation for people like me. My team and I got to work and we unveiled legislation to investigate and expel those who were responsible for inciting this attack so that we could defend it because we have a duty to fight for a more perfect union because we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this, because if we cannot stand up to white supremacy in this moment as representatives, then why did you run for office in the first place? No matter what district you represent, no matter where you live, no matter Democrat or Republican, you represent a district that is on average about 700,000 people, meaning you have to resent those who love you, those who despise you, those who voted for you, those who swear they'll never cast a vote for you, people who talk like you and people don't, who don't look like you. Building better communities, building better lives, building a better society, it's not a Democratic or Republican issue. We can't build a better society if members are too scared to stand up and act to reject the white supremacist attack that happened right before our eyes. How can we trust that you will address the suffering that white supremacy causes on a day-to-day -day basis in the shadows if you can't even address the white supremacy that happens right in front of you in your house? 29 days ago, on January 6th of 2021, Insurrectionists attacked our capital, seeking to overturn the results of our nation's election. 29 days ago, the glass in and around this very chamber was shattered by gunshots, clubs, by individuals seeking to restrain and murder members of Congress, duly elected to carry out the duties of their office. Sadly, less than 29 days later, with little to no accountability for the bloodshed and trauma of the sixth, some are already demanding that we move on, or worse, attempting to minimize, discredit, or belittle the accounts of survivors. In doing so, they not only further harm those who were there that day and provide cover for those responsible, but they also send a tremendously damaging message to survivors of trauma all across this country that the way to deal with trauma, violence, and targeting is to paper it over, minimize it, and move on. As many of my colleagues know, my closest colleagues know, on my very first day 
of orientation. I got my first death threat. It was a serious one. They took me aside. The FBI had to go to the gentleman's home. I didn't even get sworn in yet. And someone wanted me dead for just existing. More came later. Each one paralyzed me each time. So what happened on January 6th, all I could do was thank Allah that I wasn't here. I felt overwhelming relief. And so I asked my colleagues to please try not to dehumanize what's happening. This is real. And you know, many of our residents from the shootings in Charlottesville to the massacre at the synagogue, all of it, all of it is led by hate rhetoric like this. And so I urge my colleagues to please, please take what happened on January 6th seriously. It will lead to more death and we can do better. We must do better. Thank you. Quote, we must do better. That was Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib um, speaking on the House floor. We, uh, the first person that you heard speak there, that was Congresswoman Cori Bush. Then you have Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then, of course, the last one was Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Accountability and justice is the only true way to move on and unite as a nation. The Senate impeachment trial for the former president, former President Donald J. Trump, is set to begin this week on Tuesday. We will have special coverage on it next weekend. Keep your eye on this story. Stay focused. Do not let this go. Never forget. This is historical and it's pivotal. We'll be right back. Oh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Liz and I are going to do some work around the house. Do you know any good contractors? I might. That's great. Can you check their qualifications? Make sure they have great reviews and research the average price for the job. Oh, and book them on Wednesday. Actually, make it Friday. It went in the water. You can't expect your neighbors to do everything HomeAdvisor can. So for a better way to get home projects done right, just ask HomeAdvisor. The date was January 15th, 1967, and the very first Super Bowl was happening. It was the Packers against the Chiefs. Uh, Here's CBS Radio News. CBS is on the air with the Super Bowl game. Brought to you by Plymouth Division of Chrysler Corporation. By Kent Cigarettes. By American Express Credit Card. And by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated Brewers of Budweiser. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jack Drees, along with Tom Hedrick, speaking to you from the Coliseum of Los Angeles, where today football history will be made. For the first time in the history of American football, the champions of two rival professional leagues will meet for the ultimate championship, the world title of this game of professional football. CBS, in its quest to bring you the broadest and most incisive possible coverage, has selected me uh, covering the National Football League through the season and Tom Hedrick, who likewise has been covering the doings of the American Football League through the season, to bring you all the details and all the excitement that this game promises to generate. That was 1967, the very, very first Super Bowl. Um, I do not usually follow sports, but for people who do, this is a really big thing. It's awesome, right? I mean, you get to watch your favorite games on TV go head to head. Usually you'll hear the crowds cheering and everyone having a great time. 
But this year, um, a lot has changed because of the coronavirus pandemic. According to NBC Sports, the Super Bowl is hosting its smallest audience at about 25,000 people. Um, health experts are worried that this could become a new coronavirus surge, another coronavirus surge. And it's not just uh, it's, it's not just that. For those who defied public health guidelines today and still gathered with their families, as Dr. Fauci said, uh, these could create uh, essentially many super spreader events, even if you're gathering with just other people in your home. In Kentucky, um, their public health commissioner, Dr. Stephen Stack, said today, um, said earlier this week, quote, when people get together in private residences in close proximity, that is one of the single most effective ways to spread this disease. We can't afford to have the disease spread now with these mutations and these variants, end quote. Today, the Washington Post reported about a new report on that indicates the United Kingdom variant, uh, that's here in the United States, may be spreading more expeditiously here. Quote, the coronavirus variant that shut down much of the United Kingdom is spreading rapidly across the United States, outcompeting other strains and doubling its prevalence among confirmed infections every week and a half, according to a new, cert, a new research made public uh, Sunday. The report posted on the preprint server Med, MedRex, um, a, and not yet peer-reviewed or published in a journal, comes from a collaboration of many scientists and pro provides the first hard data to support a forecast issued last month by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that showed the variant becoming dominant in the United States by late March. Quote, Our study shows that the U.S. is on, similar is on a similar trajectory as other countries where B117 rapidly becoming became the dominant SARS-CoV-2 variant requiring immediate and divisive and decisive, excuse me, action to minimize COVID-19 morbidity and mortality, the authors of the new study wrote. Florida standards out in the study as the new, as the state, uh, Florida essentially stands out in this new study as the state with the highest estimated prevalence of this new variant. The report estimated the doubling time of B117 prevalence in positive test results at 9.1 days. Florida leads the nation in reported cases involving B117 with 187 cases of it as of Thursday, followed by much more populous California with 145 cases of it. That is according to the CDC. Uh, make sure to link that article in the description. That is very important and very critical information, especially during this time. Uh, this was Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, speaking last Tuesday on All In with Chris Hayes on MSNBC about how to avoid another coronavirus surge. We've, we've watched uh, this horrible third wave that we've had. It's been the deadliest. It's been the most brutal in this country. We've acclimated to 4,000 deaths a day. Um, I know multiple people through networks of people who've lost family members or have hospitalized family members. It's been a brutal winter. We're on the down part of that slope. The big question to me is, is that the, just the dynamics of the kind of thermostatic public response where we've seen this a few times or people start to get a little scared, they pull back, maybe they do a little more social distancing, antibodies build up in a community because it ravages through a place, people go indoors, and then people come back out. And I guess the big question is, like, how confident are you that we're not going to get a fourth wave? What has to happen for that to happen? Right. OK, what you know, uh, Chris, you raise a very good point. 
uh, when you have the surge, you have to figure out what triggered the surge. The big surge that we've been through right now that has been so devastating was a combination of a bunch of things. The cold weather, which forced people indoors, the post-holiday gatherings, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. We knew we were going to see that kind of surge. All of those things together, one maybe more than the other, but that led to that. You can't keep going up like that indefinitely. That's the reason why you have the plateau. That could be due to a number of reasons. The susceptibles, the ones who are most susceptibles have already gotten infected. People get a bit frightened by it, so they double down a bit on public health measures. I don't think enough people in any given location have been infected enough to say herd immunity has come in. I don't think we're there yet. So you're asking me a question. How confident am I that we're not going to have yet again another surge? I think if we double down uniformly and consistently with the public health measures at the same time as we phase in increasing numbers of people getting vaccinated, we shouldn't see that. One of the wild cards, Chris, that we have to keep an eye on are the mutations, the mutants that are out there. Because if they become dominant, that then could lead to another surge. But the best way to prevent them from becoming dominant is double down on public health measures, all the things I've spoken about with you, masking, distance, uh, avoiding congregate settings, et cetera, at the same time as with the supplies that we have, we vaccinate as many people as we possibly can. If we do that, and I underline the if, we should then continue to see the downwards trend. But we've got to keep our eye out on the mutants because if they become dominant, they could be a problem. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, our nation's top infectious disease expert, uh, speaking on All In with Chris Hayes on that show on MSNBC about how to avoid another coronavirus surge and the recommendations that we need to take from that. Um, this video has just been released from the Super Bowl of Amanda Gorman, who, who will you will recall from the inauguration, um, delivering her remarkable and influential poem. Uh, this is her tonight expressing gratitude for our frontline healthcare workers. Today, we honor our three captains for their actions and impact in a time of uncertainty and need. They've taken the lead, exceeding all expectations and limitations, uplifting their communities and neighbors as leaders, healers, and educators. James has felt the wounds of warfare, but this warrior still shares his home with at-risk kids. During COVID, he's even lent a hand, live-streaming football for family and fans. Tremaine is an educator who works nonstop, providing his community with hotspots, laptops, and tech workshops so his students have all the tools they need to succeed in life and in school. Susie is the ICU nurse manager at a Tampa hospital. Her chronicles prove that even in tragedy, hope is possible. She lost her grandmothers to the pandemic and fights to save other lives in the ICU battle zone, defining the frontline heroes, risking their lives for our own. Let us walk with these warriors, charge on with these champions and carry forth the call of our captains. We celebrate them by acting with courage and compassion, by doing what is right and just. For while we honor them today, 
it is they who every day honor us. That was Amanda Gorman giving a remarkable poem there, a remarkable, um, I'm lost for words, remarkable speech, just absolutely amazing. Right now, the United States has more than 27 million coronavirus cases, the highest in the world, and more than 466,000 of our fellow Americans are dead. Remember to please stay safe this week, wear your mask. The last note is next. At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part. On the home front, on the front lines, to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we're better together, even if we're a little farther apart. Welcome back. So yesterday in my opening um, in my opening introduction about Alexei Navalny, I did not mention this. I've just come across this reporting. It is very, very disturbing. According to CNN, quote, a top doctor at the Russian hospital where opposition leader Alexei Navalny was treated immediately after his poisoning last summer has died, the hospital said on Thursday. Sergei Max... Excuse me, Sergei Maximum Shin, who was the deputy chief physician of the Omsk Emergency Hospital, quote, suddenly, end quote, died at the age of 55, according to a statement released by the hospital, quote, with regret, we inform you that the deputy chief physician for anesthesiology and resuscitation of the emergency hospital assistant, a number one assistant of the Department of Omsk State Medical University, PhD of Medical Sciences, um, Maskmanshin Sergei, excuse my Russian here, Valentinoch, suddenly passed away, end quote. Um, this is a statement that the hospital said, in a, a said um, which did not mention the cause of death. A spokeswoman for Omsk's uh, regional health ministry told CNN on Friday that according to preliminary data, uh, Valentinoch um, has died as a result of a heart attack. She would not provide further details, end quote. We will most definitely keep an eye on this story, as well as the story of the imprisonment of Alexei Navalny, as well as those protests in Russia. Earlier this week, President Joe Biden delivered his um, first, uh, first speech at the State Department, his, his diplomacy speech. These are his remarks. America is back. America is back. Diplomacy is back at the center of our foreign policy. Those were some remarks from President Joe Biden earlier this week, speaking at the U.S. State Department for the first time. Um, just in some inspirational words there. America is back. Diplomacy is back. Thank you very much for being with us this weekend here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I apologize for posting these episodes very like late, um, but I am writing out every single segment, which is a lot, but it is worth it. Um, thank you again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Remember to wear your mask, stay safe, stay positive, and I'll see you this weekend.